Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. It was so nice also for us to have Christmas carols this morning. As sure as you hear the Christmas carols, you know the year is coming to a close. As you know the year is coming to a close, you also know we are reaching the end of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel has 31 chapters. Today, we are on to chapter 33-0. I find it important today not just to focus on what's happening here in this chapter in isolation, but also to understand the events of chapter 30 within the context of the past few chapters. So last week, last week we covered chapter 29. What did we see in chapter 29? David had aligned himself with the Philistines, the arch enemies of the people of Israel, his own people. And we saw that David had claimed that he was fully prepared to go with King Archish into battle against the Israelites. But he likely, likely felt an inner conflict within a conundrum within. While he maintained the front of being willing to fully go into battle, he might have been inwardly hoping for a way out. Now, fortunately for him, we saw that God intervened through the Philistine commanders and said, what are these Hebrews doing here? As a result, they were dispatched. He didn't have to be involved in this battle, didn't have to play a part there. Problem solved. A way out was provided. Now, while that problem seemed to be solved, a deeper problem remained. We saw in chapter 27 that when David fled to the Philistines, he wasn't merely running away from Saul. He had actually strayed from God. Because it was something that was fear-driven rather than faith-led, he was guided by his own wits than by the wisdom of God. He was relying on deception rather than walking in dependence on his God. And that continued to a point where he seemed all prepared to prove his allegiance to King Akish, even to the extent of going to battle against his own people. The David who would not lift up his hand against the Lord's anointed or dishonor the Lord's anointed in any way at all, now was actually going into battle against the armies of the Lord's anointed. He had constantly inquired of the Lord in the past. We see him doing that again and again. But now during this period, no sign of him. No sign of him inquiring of the Lord whether he was to seek refuge amongst the Philistines or not. No sign of him inquiring of of the Lord, even over something as important as to what he was to do when faced with having to go into battle against his own people. That was quite a descent for David. A man of God, a sweet psalmist of Israel, zealous for the glory of God when he stood before Goliath. And now he may be saved from Saul. Now he may have a permanent home in Ziklag instead of all that wandering around as a fugitive. But I believe inwardly he could feel that all was not well. All was not well with his soul. The Lord would have been calling out to him. That still remained unresolved. Time and again with his tender conscience, I know this would have weighed down on him. And this is where I believe he is. As we come to chapter 30, some of you like maps, 
And this will give you some picture of where he was and where, where things happened. He was making his two-day journey from the front lines of battle in Aphek. Up there, you see that in the middle. He was making his way back down to Ziklag, all the way down to the south of Philistia territory. You see Israel, of course, is in 2D east, Amalek territory to the south. Amalek territory will become interesting in a, in a few moments. Now, where's he was making this two-day journey down, back to Ziklag? What was going on in his mind? What was he thinking about? I, I believe it was a pensive David who was making this trip. Was he wondering about how the battle would go and what that would mean for him? If Saul's army destroyed the Philistines, then was he still safe in Ziklag? He didn't know. What about if the Philistines won? If they won, did he still have a future amongst the Philistines? Now that the Philistine commanders had outrightly rejected him and King Akish went along with them, how much longer could he really remain there? He didn't know. Was he inwardly relieved about not having to go into battle against his own people? I mean, this was a situation of completely of his own making. Yet God delivered him from the conundrum that he faced, such that he didn't actually have to go into battle. How did he feel about that? He didn't know. Could he be asking, what has happened to me? Why did I put myself in this situation? What has happened to me such that I had to be willing to go this far? Was he willing to turn back from his earlier choice to run to the Philistines, change course completely? But what would that mean for him? He and his men, the families, were also well settled in Ziklag. Ziklag had become a haven, a sanctuary for them. If there was no decisive outcome, what was he to do? Was he to give up on Ziklag, return to Israel, even if it meant continuing to be a fugitive, having to run from Saul? He didn't know. He, he just didn't know. Too many questions upon his head. So much that he didn't know. Now, what he didn't know as well was that a grave disaster had struck. He didn't know that he would soon face his most distressing moment yet, the most trying moment yet. He didn't know that God was going to use this as a tool for speaking to him, reaching out to him, calling out to him, drawing him to return, strengthening him, bringing about a turnaround in him. And God will bring about a turnaround in the circumstances through this turnaround in him. Let's take some time to pray and call out to the Lord before we read the passage in 1 Samuel 30. Let's pray. Lord, we draw near to you. And as we draw near to you in this time, O oh Lord, may you draw near to us too. God, may you do your work among us as we look to you. Would you give to us renewed strength renewed hope, renewed faith, a renewed confidence in you, a renewed determination to walk with you and walk in your ways all of our days. Bring about a turnaround for us, Lord, in our time of need. Bring about a turnaround through us in our circumstances, we pray, as we look to you in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's look to the text. 1 Samuel chapter 30, and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 6. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. 
They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire. They've taken captive the women and all that were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and all his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel, Abigail the widow of Nabal of Carmel, and David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So at the end, as they were coming into a Ziklag, at the end of this two-day journey from the battle lines, they were looking forward to a warm welcome at home. They were looking forward to children running out to greet them. But it wasn't to be. Instead, a devastating sight awaited them. The Amalekites have made a raid on their stronghold, burned Ziklag down completely, took away everything. And as they stared at the destruction in disbelief, none of them thought immediately to go after the raiders. There was no record of that. Maybe but they were so completely distraught, completely even hysterical over their loss. Now, these were warriors, mind you, but they wept until they had no more strength to weep. Maybe it also looked like the raid had taken place some time ago as they were making their way down. Maybe they could tell from the burning that it's happened some time ago, the raiders were long gone trying to chase after them, trying to locate them. It wasn't going to be easy. The Amalekites were spread over a wide frontage. Which direction were they exactly to go? It wasn't very clear. So every one of them lost his family, lost his possessions. But David lost more. For the first time, David lost the loyalty of his men. He lost the trust of his men. And they turned against him out of the bitterness of their hearts because they held him responsible and even spoke about stoning him. How did David respond? These were dire circumstances, trying circumstances. How did David respond to them? Now, first notice what David didn't do. Like the others, he probably cried in grief as well, first over his own loss and over the losses of all his men. He probably cried as well. But note, he didn't flee from the situation. Previously, he fled from the situation to the Philistines. This time, he didn't flee from the situation, even though there was danger to him. There was mutiny going on. The men were talking about stoning him. He didn't flee out of fear. He didn't flee out of a sense of defeat. He didn't allow himself to be completely overwhelmed. He didn't become bitter over the fact that the men were now turning against him. He didn't allow himself to sink into despair. He badly needed strengthening, yes. But notice the text didn't say that he strengthened himself through others, through other people. He obviously didn't have Samuel with him, Jonathan with him to strengthen him. But for the past one and a half years, who was he looking to for strength? He might have been looking to King Akish of the Philistines for strength, safe in the fact that King Akish was there to protect him. He got himself into King Akish's good books so that King Akish would and render some form of protection over him. He was also secure in the allegiance of his 600 men. Now he could rely on neither. 
neither King Akish, because his commanders have turned against him, neither the 600 men, because they were also turning against him. Also, the text didn't also say that David strengthened himself in himself for the past one and a half years. Maybe he was trying to. He was trying to strengthen himself through his own wits, getting by through his own cunning. But now he knew that in this situation, he couldn't do that anymore. This was way beyond him. So instead of being overcome, being devastated, instead of strengthening himself in others, instead of strengthening himself in himself, probably for the first time since he fled to the Philistines, now the text says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He clung on to the Lord. What does that mean? How exactly did he do this? The scriptures are silent about this. But what we know for certain is this. There was a sense of an upward encounter with God, a sense of an engagement with God, a sense of looking up to God in some form. And what I think he probably did was that he carved out a space for himself there and then. Carved out a space for himself, turned his eyes upward, fixed his gaze upward, looked full into the face of God, sought the Lord his God with all his heart. That I'm quite certain he did. I wonder if there's more. The text doesn't make this very clear. But I'm going to suggest that his engagement with God, his strengthening of himself, his clinging to the Lord, involved a sense of returning to God. A sense of getting right with God. C.S. Lewis tells us, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We see from the earlier chapters that David had wandered from the Lord in disobedience, and now amidst his pain, he knew that God was speaking through his divine megaphone, more so, more clearly, more loudly than ever. He recognized the Lord's hand. It was his chastening, his chastisement, his hand of correction. And he also knew God's heart, that God's heart is redemptive. God was calling him to return, drawing him to get right with God because God wanted to restore him. So I suggest to you that whatever else David did as he strengthened himself in the Lord, he went through the doorway of returning to God, getting right with God. And in those moments, he sensed the restoring grace of God. He received the forgiveness of the Lord. And I think for the first time in that one and a half years, there was a newfound strengthening. There was a renewed faith. There was a renewed desire to act in dependence on God, a renewed hunger to seek after God's leading, more so than in the past one and a half years. Notice the text says that David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Whether he strengthened himself in the Lord, the Lord was still God. Doesn't change a thing. But when he strengthened himself in the Lord, the Lord was once again his God. So immediately he returned to seeking the Lord for guidance, for direction, inquired of God what to do next. No, friends, I don't see this as just merely a turnaround in this chapter. 
I see this as David's turnaround from what has happened to him over the past four chapters. In the course of preparing this sermon, I myself had to learn a thing or two about strengthening myself in the Lord. See, the process of preparing this sermon became more challenging for me than I thought it would be, especially in the past week. Three weeks ago, I thought my ideas were pretty there, I'm quite well prepared, but in the past week, it was a real struggle. There was my usual work, of course. There were family matters that took up time and attention. So every free moment I had, I was focusing on the sermon preparation, trying to make sense of the text, trying to understand what was happening here in the context, trying to figure out what to emphasize, trying to how, how to put everything together in a way that's easy to, to, to receive. All that was necessary, of course. But in the course of the week, time was catching up with me. When I felt that I didn't have enough time, all the more feverishly I grappled with the preparation and all the more ineffective I was actually becoming. Within me, I knew not what was needed. I needed to take time out to pray, to focus upward, to quieten and still my soul, to seek the Lord as to what He wanted me to say so that I may be His mouthpiece, to rely not just on my own thinking, and my own understanding, but to seek Him for what the Spirit will lay upon my heart. I mean, big difference, right, between working hard for God and drawing close to His heart. Big difference. And both were needed. I knew I needed the latter, but it felt like it was taking time away from my preparation, and I couldn't spare the time for that. It was like I was using the saw to cut down some branches. And with every stroke, increasingly, the saw was becoming more and more blunt. But I just kept on using the saw anyway, never thinking of stopping to sharpen the saw because that would take too much time. You see the irony here. Whole irony of these circumstances. Here, this preacher was preparing to preach a sermon on what it means to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And this speaker knew nothing about strengthening himself with the Lord. It came to a point where I could see I was getting nowhere. I saw the folly of all this. I called for a timeout, dropped the preparation altogether, created a space for me to pray, went for a long walk just to seek the Lord, just to pray, just to center down. And I guess it can be said that at that point, I strengthened myself in the Lord. Now notice this. It was a choice for me to make. There was a choice I had to make. I mean, God's resources are all available, but there was a choice I had to make to take myself away from what I thought was necessary to center down, to focus on Him. The text says David strengthened himself in the Lord. Some of you may say, why David strengthened himself? Isn't God who strengthens him? And you would be absolutely right. God is the one who strengthens, but does it mean that David just has to be passive, just has to do nothing? No, absolutely not. There were things for David to do, just that just, I had to make a choice to call out to the Lord, to reach out to Him. So in the most difficult of circumstances, it's never the case that we have no choice. We always have a choice. 
We can choose between defeat, discouragement, despair. Or we can choose to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And what about you, my friends? When was the last time you strengthened yourself in the Lord? In tough times left to ourselves, we naturally worry, we naturally despair. But when was the last time you chose not to succumb to that and broke out of that to strengthen yourself in the Lord instead? In difficult times, sometimes we, we try to cope, try to survive through coping mechanisms, binge-watching movies, excessive gaming, some even through porn. When was the last time you decided it's pointless to try to strengthen yourself that way? And when was the last time in such distressing times you turned your eyes upon Jesus, looked full in his wonderful face, and let the things of the world become dim and the light of his glory and grace? Receive new strength from him. May it be today is the day that happens for you. So let's go on now to the rest of the chapter. We've looked at the first six verses. We're going to go through the rest of the chapter now, not by reading the entire chapter, but by seeing what has happened. You see, at this point, all we have is a spiritual turnaround in David's heart. But nothing else has changed, right? It wasn't like the moment he strengthened himself, everything was recovered. The wife and the children all came back. Property was all recovered. No, they were still lost. Families were still taken. And so someone might say, hey, in the biggest scheme of things, uh, this spiritual turnaround in David seemed inconsequential, right? I mean, it seems just a nice to have, like window dressing. Didn't really seem to affect anything. Was that really so? It's like someone going through bankruptcy or going, facing something as tough as divorce, being told that, hey, my friend, your greatest need is to return to God and to seek Him. This person may say incredulously, what, pastor? I'm going through all these things and you tell me that I need to pray, I need to seek God. Is that going to put food on the table? Is that going to bring back my family for me? We can understand their response. All those sentiments are completely understandable. But those dire moments, an inner turnaround, spiritual restoration, might even seem to be a waste of time. Inconsequential. But what's it really? Let's see how the text unfolds, the circumstances unfold. As you look at the rest of the chapter, in fact, you will see an unfolding turnaround in the circumstances. Unfolding turnaround in the circumstances. We won't be reading through all this, but you see that first of all, there was a turnaround from losses to gains. How did that happen? David, having strengthened himself in the Lord, having sought the Lord, led his people out, the 600, out in pursuit. On the way, they met an Egyptian slave. They were kind to this Egyptian slave, and the process, after having revived him, the slave was actually quite ill. He was about to die, actually. That's why he was left by his masters there, forsaken by the masters. So they revived him, and they came to know that actually he was part of the Amalekites' raiding band that raided Ziklag. Eventually, this Egyptian slave led them to the Amalekites, and to exactly where they were, 
down south. Amalekites, very big territory, right? So this Egyptian slave led them to exactly where the Amalekites people were. And there they were able to recover all that was taken, and in fact, more than what, what they originally had. Because the Amalekites had done a raid on other places as well, took back a lot of spoil. So now David and his men were able to take back not just what was taken from them, but also what belonged to other peoples. Amazing recovery. Turn around from losses to gains. Not just recovery of their losses. Then the chapter goes on to talk about another turnaround. A turnaround from David's descent in the past few chapters to a rising now, to a readiness for kingship. We see this in verse 21 to 25, where we see David resolving a situation by exercising an authority of a ruler. Now, bear in mind, of course, at this time, he wasn't a ruler. He didn't have any legal power, really, to make law. But the text says that he made something a statute. He passed something like a ruling in the circumstances that eventually became like a statute in Israel. What the author seems to be emphasizing is this has a rise here. This is the person who is exercising not legal authority, but moral authority, spiritual authority. Then in the last few verses in the chapter, we see him exercising the generosity of a king, the beneficence of a king, in giving what he has got to various cities, all the cities where they have roamed in the past partly to appreciate them, to give out of gratitude towards them for their support, and also to establish good relationships with the elders, his friends. All this, I wonder if you agree, looks so different from the dire circumstances at the start of the chapter. At the start of the chapter, everything looked bad from verse 1 to verse 5 and 6. Everything looked bad. Shambles, destruction, loss, everything taken away. But now, Everything is restored and more. My question is this, my friends. What was the critical turning point? If you were to trace everything back, what was it that sparked off all this? How did all these changes come about? Was it that the Holy Spirit suddenly fell on the Amalekites down south? They had a revival. They came back, they returned everything. And the families and promised never, never will we do this again. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, apologizing in tears just as David and his men were also weeping in despair. So for a moment, they're all crying together. Nobody knows which tears are whose. Was that what happened? No. Was it that God sent angels to do a raid on the Amalekites? Angels. Angels transported everything back. And just as David's men were picking up stones in order to stone David, somebody shouted out, Chuso! For those of us who don't watch Chinese movies, that means, stay your hand, stop. You see this happening in Chinese movies all the time. Just when someone is about to be beheaded, Suso! Don't have to stone him. You see the wives and the children all running towards them. And it turned to jubilation and celebration. Was that what happened? Was it how God worked in this case? We, we love this kind of miraculous works of God, don't we? We want for God to work this way. It's quick, it's so spectacular. And on our part, we hardly need to lift a finger. It's just like you need to just put in some small change into the vending machine, and you get immediate, you get assured results. Well, most vending machines at least. 
and nothing on our part seems to need to change. So let me suggest that a critical turning point was when David changed, when he strengthened himself in the Lord, when he inquired of the Lord. Now remember that the men were bitter of heart, broken in despair. So why were they prepared to follow David in pursuit? The text once again doesn't make this crystal clear. But important question to ask, right? Because that was the thing that triggered off all the whole chain of turnarounds. Why were they able to? And let me suggest this. This was one thing also that I, I struggled with. But I think I, I come to see that this is a possible reason. Maybe it was because the men could see and sense the change in David after he turned to the Lord and sought the Lord. Before that, we see a David that was completely distressed, totally defeated, just helpless. But now we see that something has come over him. There was now a tenderness of heart, a restedness of the soul, and yet a very settled and centered certainty of purpose. You see, in David, a quiet and humble spirit now, but his countenance was aglow with godly confidence. He did not speak in loud or forceful tones, but now there was a fiery resolve in him that was unmistakable and also very stirring to the men. And they could see that even though the circumstances haven't changed one bit, David has changed. He has met the Lord. And that inspired them. They were prepared to follow him, to go after the Amalekites, and their preparedness to follow him in pursuit set off the chain of all the other turnarounds. Now what if David didn't strengthen himself in the Lord? What if? There would have been no inquiring of the Lord, no assurance of God's leading, no change in David, no galvanizing of the men, no pursuit of the Amalekites, no meeting of the Egyptian slave, no turnaround from the losses to gains, no turnaround from his descent to his rising even. That moment that David had to choose between continuing in despair as against strengthening himself in the Lord turned out to be a watershed moment. So let's consolidate what we've been saying. How did God bring about the turnaround in the events? And what can we see from this as to how God works? There were some circumstances that were dire. God desired to bring about a turnaround in the circumstances. He could have worked through miracles, just snapped his fingers, just called to his angels, and that would have been it. Didn't need the involvement of men. But here we see him leading an individual, David, to an inner spiritual turnaround, bringing conviction upon this individual, bringing change, bringing strength to this individual. The turnaround in this individual didn't look spectacular. It was one that was quiet, even imperceptible to the world, seemingly inconsequential in the larger scheme of things. But God was going to work through it. And work through it, He did. So He works the turnaround in us to bring about a turnaround in our circumstances. First, a turnaround in David and a turnaround through him. Friends, what does that mean for us? 
Some of us are facing difficult circumstances, distressing circumstances, because of challenges in some relationships. It could be relationships at home, with our spouse, with our children, with our in-laws, even with our parents. Or it could be relationships at the workplace, bosses, colleagues. We hope for a quick fix. We want to look for some button we can press, some switch we can turn on, some switch we can flick, and that changes everything. Some religious incantation that we can utter so that it can solve all the problems. That's convenient, right? And nothing needs to change on our part. Can God bring this about? Can God bring about a swift deliverance? Of course he can. But let me suggest what he might rather do as we see in this passage. He might rather first bring about a spiritual change in you, show you how you need to change, bring about a breakthrough in you. Maybe previously, you didn't see ways in which you yourself were contributing to the problem. You were quick to blame the other party. God wants to open your eyes to see that. Maybe previously, you couldn't engage with the other party constructively. God wants to lead you to an inner breakthrough, perhaps in empathy, in compassion, in dying to yourself, in courage, having an honouring posture of heart to enable you to speak the truth in love to the other party. Maybe previously you had no concept of what it means to labour in prayer, wrestle in intercession over the situation. Maybe God wants you to learn that, grow that, Develop prayer muscles. Maybe previously faith to you meant faith for immediate deliverance, a miraculous solution. Maybe God wants you to have the kind of faith that holds on to Him in spite of your circumstances, that trusts Him as He wants to accomplish His molding and purifying work in you. First, a turnaround in you, and from there, bring about a turnaround through you. It's a much more cumbersome process, isn't it? Doesn't seem very efficient. Seems to take a lot of time. But a far better outcome. We grow in the process. We gain the breakthrough in the process. You reap the benefits. You get to pass it on. And, and that's discipleship, isn't it? Even the circumstances, the trying circumstances we are in, God is taking you on a discipleship journey. He will be your help for sure. As you call out to him, he will come alongside, he will strengthen you, he will help you. But he calls for you to be willing. Calls for you, he calls for you to partner him in this, your own breakthrough. As we come to a close, I think all of us will see that this entire sermon can be summarized in one phrase, one sentence. In fact, it can be summarized in nine words. What is this phrase? What are these nine words? But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I've talked about most of these words. David strengthened we saw how that likely happened. Carved out a space for him, seek God, engage with God, fix his eyes upon God, coming back to God through the doorway of repentance, 
getting right with God. David strengthened himself. We saw that he couldn't be passive. He had to be an active agent in this. Sure, it wasn't about his own power, but he had to be an active agent. He strengthened himself in the Lord, not in others, not in himself, his own resources. He had no resources left. It was in the Lord. And it was in the Lord, his God. The Lord was David's God once again, emphasizing the turnaround, the return was complete. He had come back and the Lord was his God. There's just one of these nine words that I haven't said anything about. And what is that word? That word is the word, but. But David strengthened himself. You see, it was a distressing and difficult time. I've said this over and over again. Anyone would have become undone, given up, maybe even the circumstances. But David strengthened himself. And that made all the difference. For some of you who might be going through a tough and challenging time, will there be such a part in your case? You're distressed, you're overwhelmed, you're in despair, but you strengthened yourself. You know this word, but, interrupts the natural flow of events. It's like natural flow of events goes this way and continues this way. And suddenly there is a part. Everything stops in its tracks. It brings about an interruption, a stoppage in the natural flow. If not for this but, the flow would have continued. If not for this but, it could be destruction. It could be defeat, utter defeat. But, introduces a change that changes the trajectory completely. My friends, will there be a part in your case? That's a choice you need to make. You need to make such a choice that even in the darkest and most distressing of circumstances, there will be something rising up from you that says, but, and call a stop to that. Instead, fix your eyes on God. Instead, call upon the Lord with all your heart and may that change everything for you as you stem the flow of what could have been. May you strengthen yourself in the Lord. I'm going to invite the worship team up as I lead you to respond and give you some time also to respond to the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we know that you are the God of turnarounds. And God, you lead us to a turnaround in ourselves. You bring about turnarounds in our circumstances as well. So in you, O Lord, and in you alone, we have a future and a hope. There's no future and hope in worry or anxiety. There's no future and hope in despair or gloom. No future and hope with bitterness, with being resigned. But God, there is a great future and hope in you because you are the God of turnarounds. Do that in us, O Lord. We are willing. Do that through us, we pray.
friends, some of you may not be going through such distressing and devastating times right now. But we know those things, those times can come. In these moments, may you determine beforehand what you will do, how you will respond. May you determine that you will strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. There will be that part that stops the natural flow. And as we respond, would you pray for someone who's going through such times right now? Some of us here might be going through those difficult moments right now. You've come before the Lord, you've prayed for a solution, for deliverance, for a turnaround. And I know He has hurt you. But His way of bringing about a turnaround may be different from what you think. It may be first to bring about a turnaround in you by leading you to strengthen yourself in Him. Maybe that for you, even though the situation seems dire and devastating, hope seems to be all but lost, help seems far away, there's nothing and no one you can look to but for you. And may there always be that word, but. You strengthen yourself in the Lord. May there be that breakaway and that change in your trajectory following that. Just give us a few moments to pray, to strengthen yourself in the Lord.
church, let's all rise as we receive the benediction. Taken from Isaiah 30 verse 15 and 2 Corinthians 13. Open your hand as you receive this blessing from the Lord. Now may the Lord, through our repentance and rest, bless you that you may be healed, restored, and saved. And now may the Lord, through your quiet trust, the quietness, dependence of your heart, give you that strength. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. And we give thanks and receive all this in faith and thanksgiving in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord and all God's people say together, Amen. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.